Hello fellow friends, family, degenerates, and MMA fans everywhere, and welcome to another edition of Caged Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your host. Last week, I went over my 11 rules to picking MMA winners, which is the 11-step checklist that I go down before watching previous fight footage and making a prediction. I said that I would provide an additional follow-up podcast on how I go and actually view the film. What are the things that I'm looking for? How am I comparing and contrasting those against the 11 steps that I previously discussed? So I wanted to get into that to show what my process looked like because that's one of the mantras of Caged Wisdom in May is not just to go around providing bets and winners, but to show you how I actually do it in case you might be able to use it or maybe it helps you refine your process. Maybe you just use it because you enjoy talking about MMA like I do. But either way, here we go. So I try to watch between three and five fights before I make a prediction. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. It depends. Uh, it depends if it's a fighter that I've seen a, a lot in the past, and I don't have to go through this entire process. I can just make a prediction. But sometimes it's someone I haven't seen very much. I typically don't go real, real deep in terms of finding their, their regional fights when they were amateurs or anything like that. I just take what I can get, typically on UFC Fight, fight Pass or, or YouTube. But when I'm doing this, I'm trying to, to frame it not only against that checklist, but with the opponent in mind. So there's the obvious things that I look at. Speed, power, footwork, their takedown offense, takedown defense, cardio, and chin. Those are the, the baseline. That's the thing that, those are the same things that everyone has ever watched a fight would look for to make an assessment on a fighter and, and probably try and draw some conclusions as how they would do. I go a little bit further than that, whether this is right or wrong. There's no way to possibly decide that. But I thought it was important that you knew that I have a process and I wanted to share it with you because that's what I said I would do. So number one I look for is what are their patterns? Every fighter has some type of pattern. Some are more blatant than others. And I try to look at it. If I was a coach of the opponent and I knew, you know, because I have an idea typically of what their opponent's skill sets look like, what type of thing would I game plan against? And here's an example of that. When I was breaking down the Nagano gone fight, one of the things I noticed with Francis Nagano is that he's right hand dominant, so he's got his left foot forward. He's really, really good at covering the distance. He does a, a two step shuffle, so it's like little small hop, small hop step, and then he blitzes. There's usually a, a right, or excuse me, a jab, a right, maybe another jab or a hook. But what happens is the opponent starts bobbing and weaving and they're so afraid of those lunchbox sized fists that they overcorrect themselves, which oftentimes, not every time, opens them up for contact with one of those monster shots and puts them out. You know, you saw with Alistair, uh, Alistair Overeem, same type of thing that's going on. So I try to think about that. I'm like, all right, is that something to exploit? But the thing I also notice is that when he switched to southpaw stance, which he often does, he doesn't have the ability to cover the distance. What he, can't, what he does is he basically pumps out a couple of jabs and he's setting up a, a, a leg kick or a head kick. So I know he can't cover the difference, so I was, distance. So I know, you know if, I was, if I was their coach, I'd be like, okay, chew up that, that lead leg, that left leg, and that's your best shot at winning the fight. Now, obviously, none of that happened because he ended up wrestling. He became a wrestler somehow, some way. I don't think anyone predicted that unless you're in it, but... Those are the type of patterns I'm looking at. 
Number two, are they over-reliant on one or two techniques? You don't see this as much in today's day and age, but I think of things or the things I look for is something like you would expect from Dan Henderson, that overhand right. That's something that he used repeatedly, consistently, and you know he caught a lot of guys with that. But are there people that would be able to counter that? How would they counter that? Do they have the skill set? Do they have the distance? Do they have the footwork? Do they have technique to counter that? And if they do, I typically lean towards the opponent that doesn't have a grooved in one or two techniques that they're over-reliant upon. Number three, and again, these are in no particular order. I'll call out the ones I think are the most important here in a little bit, is their pace. Not their cardio necessarily, but their pace. Um, so for example, do they come out hot? Like Francis Nagano did. Do they fade early, like he was notorious for? Are they extremely slow starters, like we've seen in Peter Yawn in the past? Didn't happen against uh, Sterling necessarily. That was an interesting fight. We can get into that at another time, another podcast, but that's something that he's been really notorious for is dropping uh, rounds one and maybe round two and then coming on really, really strong in round three, especially with the, the, the title fights. Also, do they push the pace? So they're coming out really, really strong, really hot. And how might that impact another fighter? I think of it in terms a lot of strikers that don't have great footwork that are over-reliant on power. So do they have the ability to shift back and forth? If they're getting put back on their on their back foot a lot, are they going to be able to generate the power? And and also, just as important, are they going to be able to maintain the cardio? Because in, in MMA, it's unique. It doesn't look like it should be that way, but if you are constantly getting pushed backwards, even if you're not throwing strikes or you're getting attacked necessarily, you tend to get really, really tired. I just think it's uh, it's one of those interesting things where there's always that threat so you're always avoiding the threat going back and forth. And you, you tend to gas a lot earlier when you have really, really heavy pressure. You know, look at someone like Kamzat, even though most of his fights didn't last that long. But there is that, that pressure element. Colby Covington, perfect example of that. Number four, where do they want the fight to go? And do they have the ability or have they shown the ability consistently with different opponents to either dictate where it goes or prevent it, to where it, go, to prevent it from going where they don't want to go? That really mirrors a lot with that, that first list that I have, but that's something that's so important for me to look at when I'm making a prediction. I like to have that again in front of my face. Number five is fight IQ and game plan. So if I were to call out two of them, this would be, or two of the most important ones, this would absolutely be one of the most important ones. So do they have, and do they develop with their coach and are they able to implement a different strategy and a different different game plan for each opponent. Just as important, are they able to stick with that game plan? We see it so, so many times where a fighter comes out, it's clear that they've worked on something new. But for whatever reason, at, things start to go south on them and they don't have the ability to maintain that game plan. Greg Hardy, even though he's not the consummate professional, that a lot of people, a lot of the fighters on the UFC, great example. He showed a lot of different looks because he's he's obviously a a mega athlete. He's got great speed, okay cardio, but really good speed and fantastic athleticism. What happened every time that guy got in a firefight? He would just absolutely abandon the game plan and start going toe to toe with him. There was a couple fights where he didn't fully abandon it. 
But what happened is he got the other person hurt, got the other fighter hurt, and then he rushed in. And then he got caught and he got knocked out. And so that's fight IQ, that's discipline. If things are going south and they go back to their corner, let's say after round one, what do they look like? Are they watching their coach? Are they answering their coach's questions? Are they tuning them out and just staring straight ahead? And that dejected look that a lot of us have, you know, we've all seen enough fights. You've seen that look. You see the ones that are engaged. I think of Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. We was legitimately having a conversation with his coach, answering questions. He's like, do you remember what happened last time? He's like, yeah, I, I didn't follow the game plan. I got knocked out. He's like, all right, so go out, do this, this, and this. And it was, you know, he was very, very cognizant about his response, about the, the coach was good with the messaging, but he was able to adapt and adjust and make sure that he didn't, that he followed that game plan the whole way around. You see a lot of fighters that don't have the ability to adapt. They just go back to what is most comfortable over and over again. And I think that can be a major, major problem at this level when things aren't always going to work out the way that you want them to. I mean, fighting is so unpredictable, right? Number six, if they were knocked out in one of the previous fights that I watched, what did it look like when they came back? Were they gun shy? Were they hesitant? Did they try and work, rework their entire game plan to make sure that they didn't get knocked out because they're afraid of getting, you know, they became a little more chinny. Maybe they're, gun, again, gun shy. I think uh, Chuck Liddell, when he fought Rich Franklin. Perfect example. Chuck had gone through a, a two-fight skit, I believe, at that point. I, I might be wrong. Might be more, might be less. But he was obviously gun-shy, and so he used to have those really low hands, and you kind of stalk you and, and, wait to, and, and wait to hit you with a really big shot. But what happened with Franklin, he had both his hands up. Maybe it was Rashad Evans. I forget. It was one of those two. I think he was, he was knocked out with one, and then the next time he came back, you know, he had his he had his hands up around his his chin, which I think is good. But, you know, that shows me something. That shows me that he was clearly worried about getting knocked out, tried to do a pretty significant adjustment into his 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 typical striking style. And so that told me that he was gun shy. And when people get gun shy, they take more of the power off their shots because they're worried about getting overextended. They might be looking for more takedowns, even though they may not have the best takedown game. And so there's a lot of things that come out of that, right? I think it's pretty natural if you get knocked out. You don't want to get knocked out again, especially if it happens two, three times. So I'm always curious to see how they're coming back and how they look the next time. Number seven, arguably number one or number two most important ones, is how does their heart look? If they get dropped, if they get put on their, their butt round one and they're a striker, can't get back up, get mounted, pounded. What does round two look like? Some fighters, just they just break on the stool. They break after, they get tired, and they get frustrated. And you can see them begin to wilt when they go back to their corner. Just like I said before, fight IQ, ability to adapt game plans. You see that, that, that million-mile stare, dejected. And it's very concerning to me. If I see that one time, I know that it can happen again. Sometimes you see it too when there's a really, really good fight. They take a lot of strikes and, you know, they come back out and they just don't necessarily have what it takes and they don't have the will to win. And then you got guys like uh, Diego Sanchez and Clay Guida. And I mean, there's a million of them that have so much heart that you know that they are never, ever out. So I think that's a really important thing to look at. 
Number eight is do they pass the eye test? If you've watched enough fights, you know what a, a championship level fighter looks like. They, the way that they, their confidence, the way that they move, the way that they overwhelm an opponent. Like you've never seen over anyone overwhelm that opponent before. And it's something that you can't really put numbers to necessarily. It's not something that you can really uh, even able to verbalize. It's just something that you're able to see in these fighters. I mean, you think about Khabib. You think about John Jones. You think about Anderson Silva. There's an aura about these people, this impenetrable aura. Now, obviously, sometimes that goes away or they get older, they get knocked out, and, and that changes things. But you can't tell me if you saw Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre fight in their prime that they looked anything but beatable or un, unbeatable. I mean, the eye test in spades. Uh, Adesanya looked unbeatable. Umar, or, uh, Usman looks unbeatable. Kamzat looks unbeatable. Uh, Islam Makachev right now looks unbeatable. Peter Yan, I thought, looked unbeatable too. But again, these things happen. And, and I can be wrong sometimes, but I think we all know that look that I'm talking about. And number nine is, have they shown development and improvements over the course of the last few fights? Are they actively adding new skill sets? Are they showing wrinkles that we haven't seen before? Are they getting better? And I don't think that's something that we always see with fighters, especially as they get further on in their career. You can try more, but I really like to see a lot of growth and development. Um, Brandon Moreno, great example. Someone that, you know, he was a good wrestler, good ground game. And man, did he come back with some amazing hands, All right, That kind of skill set development. And then you got Damian Maya that, okay, he's got one of the best ground games the UFC's ever seen, but he started pretty late. And so he never really had a very threatening stand-up game. A lot of his stand-up was designed to get to the ground, you know, get in close, get to the clinch, take him down, those kinds of things. And so I'm not saying they didn't try to, to, to add those wrinkles to the game. I'm sure that they did. But some, especially when you're younger, you have to show consistent improvement over the course of several, you know, three or four fights, or I don't think that you get to that next level. And it's a lot easier to pick a fighter that you know is consistently adapting and changing versus one that you know is relatively static, right? Dan Henderson, perfect example again. So those are my fight breakdown thoughts, how I view film, how I assess it and analyze it. Hope you found the information valuable. If you did, feel free to uh, you know, send over the, the podcast to your friends, family, whoever, so we can get more people listening to the pod. You can also visit my Instagram page at cagedwisdommma.com. Hoping to have the UFC Fight Night picks up on Thursday. And in the meantime, feel free to reach back out to me with any feedback, any questions. My name is Josh. I am your host. And thanks again for listening to Caged Wisdom MMA. Have a great week.